Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. So today we're going to be reading from Mark chapter 1, verses 1 to 15, which is on page 697 of the Church Bibles. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptised by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. At once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is the word of the Lord. Heavenly Father, I do thank you that we can come before you and sit under your word, that you do speak to us through it, and that now as we get into Mark, we'll be able to hear and return to the foundations of our faith about who Jesus is who this man is, and and, and consider uh, when we understand who Jesus is, what it looks like to live for him, what it looks like to to worship him and and put our faith in him. And I pray, Lord, that as we we do that, your spirit will be at work uh, in our hearts, moving us, convicting us, and leading us to love you more. We do pray for this now in your son's name. Amen. there's this thing that I do that I feel like is a huge waste of my time. But what I do is I spend a lot of time on Facebook. That's a waste of time already. But I spend a lot of time on Facebook reading comments. Who reads comments just, for, just because you're curious or people think? Right? Every time an article comes up or a, a news report or something, for some reason I just have to click on the comments. I wanna, I, and I have this love-hate relationship with it because most of the time I click on it and like, there's just so much trash in the comments just people's opinions, people who don't really know anything, sharing their opinion on something, and, and they just don't know what they're talking about. And, and I feel like I'm wasting my time. Why did I do this? Why am I wasting my time scrolling through these comments, looking for some sort of gem, looking for some sort of treasure amongst the trash? But there's usually nothing. And I, honestly, I regret it most of the time. Uh, I feel like I've just wasted minutes of my life, brain cells reading this stuff, hearing about someone's opinion on something that has no relevance to anything. Now, I sound triggered, don't I? I am triggered. I'll tell you why. I've been triggered recently because um, there are comments I've been reading, usually, uh, that that have triggered me really around the topic of Christianity. 
Now, I don't know if you know what's happened this last week on the news. We did hear about a school in Brisbane, a Christian school, uh, that got blasted. They got a lot of backlash for a contract they released about uh, enrollment and their students uh, and uh, sexuality and, and basically excluding students based on their sexuality preferences, the, the LGBTI, like if they uh, associate with the LGBTI um, sexuality preferences, that sort of thing. Uh, and, and so that was on the news. Uh, and it wasn't, just, it wasn't just backlash. They got destroyed. They literally got destroyed. The school got smashed and, and they had to revoke the contract and the principal had to step down just to spend time to reflect. That all happened within the week. You know, I had heard about it last Sunday and then by midweek or, you know, Thursday, or, I don't know when, but they took off the contract. Like, it was that bad. It just was, got destroyed. Now, I don't want to speak on that. For I, I think it was unwise how they did it. And, and so rightfully so, it, it got a lot of heat. There was a lot of action in the comment sections. <laughs> so I go in the comment section, and, and it, I don't know why I did this, but it really triggered me. A, a lot of people were sharing their views about who they think Jesus is and how Christians should live. Uh, how they, they're coining bits of the Bible out of context and all that. Others making fun of the Bible, making fun of Jesus. Uh, and those who do claim that they, they are Christians or they believe in God, they, they generally say something like, you know, Jesus, Jesus wouldn't do this or Jesus would only do that. And they pick these and choose these parts uh, to suit what their narrative is. And, and uh, this has happened, you know, this happens all the time, right? When, when people share something about Jesus, your friends might have done this or, you know, you see it on, you, you know, on Facebook. And I find it so interesting. I find it interesting because when people usually want to share what they think about Jesus, they're happy to, to affirm Jesus' good side. You know, he's a super nice guy. Uh, he is good all around. Uh, he's good, that, that super nice guy side of him, wise teacher. Um, but they usually never want to touch upon his, his power or his majesty or his justice or his wrath or his holiness or his perfection. Do you, get, do you get it, like, why I really don't like the comment section? It's, it triggers me sometimes because people think that they know their Bibles and they assume they know who Jesus is. And, and maybe it's because we live in the West. And maybe it's because people, because we live in the, in, in the West, um, we grew up with Christianity all around us. People assume that they know Christianity because they, they, they grew up in Australia. And, and, and 50 years ago, our, our country was a Christian nation, whatever it is. But... I really want us to really think about what does it look like to actually know Jesus? What does it actually mean to know who Jesus, who this man really is? Too often we fashion a version of Jesus in our minds that suit our lifestyle, but not one that shapes our lives. And simply people just don't know the Jesus of the Bible. Now, now here's the thing, it's not only in the comments section, is it? Sometimes we go to church or visit churches. And there are people in churches who actually still don't know who Jesus is. Well, they've come up with their version of Jesus that suits them. But as soon as Jesus impedes on their lifestyle, calls them to change, then mm, I'm not sure this is the Jesus I want to believe in. You've heard that before? I really want us to, uh, over the next couple of months, come back to the foundation of our faith, to the person who is at the heart of Christianity, Jesus, and consider who is this man? Was he really just a wise teacher, a good guy with good morals and, and kind to people, the son of a carpenter, or was he even more than that? And if he is more than that, how will that shape not only your thoughts, but even how you live? You know, this is the same question on the lips of people during his time in history, 2000, over 2,000 years ago. 
Who is this man that has come, performing miracles, teaching and saying all this wise stuff, pushing against and, and schooling the religious authorities during this time? Who is this man? And that's the question Mark has. For the first eight chapters, that's what we're going to look at for the next ten weeks, the first eight chapters, and then from Mark 8, you'll actually see, if you read the, the text, it, it pivots a bit to focus on what he came to do. Who is this man and what did he come to do? That's from chapter 9 to 16. But what we're going to see today in chapter 1, Mark doesn't hold back. He doesn't hold back from the get-go on revealing who Jesus is. He puts it in bold caps, essentially, uh, as a clear opening topic sentence. But before we get to that, let's, give, let's, let's have a brief intro on who Mark is, the, the author of this gospel. Uh, most of you will have in your, t- in your Bibles the title, The Gospel of Mark, but we need to understand that the gospel isn't about Mark. It's about Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, right? It should be the gospel according to Mark. Uh, who was Mark? He was, uh, his, it's short for John Mark. John Mark, you'll find him in, uh, in the book of Acts. He hung out with the apostles, like Peter, who was with Jesus during his life, and Paul, the apostle as well, who met Jesus. Uh, he was actually Barnabas' cousin, if you know who Barnabas is in the book of Acts. So Mark is actually Barnabas' cousin. So he hung out with the apostles a lot, with Barnabas as well. Uh, you can read about that in the Acts, Mark. Uh, Mark himself would have witnessed many things himself about Jesus, but the historian, uh, Papias, his name is, uh, he said that Mark acted like an interpreter, essentially, for Peter, the apostle. So he was really tight with Peter. He acted like a scribe, an interpreter. He recorded everything from Peter's version of, uh, of, of Peter's record, really, of Jesus' life and ministry. And so that's what Mark's role was. He recorded Jesus' life through Peter, Peter's account. And this probably happened when they were in Rome together, um, Peter and, and Mark. So that's Mark. Mark's gospel is, is also the shortest uh, and the earliest manuscript out of the four gospels. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, Mark was written about 65 AD. That's what, that's what they say, about 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And that's, you know, that's, uh, that adds to legitimacy in many ways because you know, even records in other religions, it's you know, hundreds of years after. But this is within the same generation as Jesus, which is which is. Co- Good to know, uh, which, which attest to the truth because there are people during the time that are still alive, during Jesus' time, still alive, that can attest to the truth so that, that Mark has written down. Another interesting point is that you'll actually see, if you read Matthew and Luke as well, you'll see a lot of similarities in the, in the stories and the narratives. What Matthew and Luke have done is actually taken Mark as their original source and added to it. And so they base their Gospels off Mark. So that's, Mark is, in a sense, the, the, the OG gospel. It's a little bit about Mark. Uh, It's a great gospel to start with, as I said earlier, if you're new to Christianity, um, because Mark himself wrote to, not to, uh, his primary audience wasn't Jewish people, it was in Israel, people who had the Old Testament. It was actually to Gentiles in Rome, and so I think that's really good for us too, as people who might not have grown up with with Christianity, and you're, you're learning about it, sit down and start with Mark. Good place to start. Um, you'll find it's only 16 chapters, so it's a, it's a quick read. Uh, when I became a Christian, actually, just a side note, when I became a Christian, um, my mentor, um, Christian mentor at the time, he sat down with me and said, let's read through all of Mark in one sitting. Uh, and there's a group of guys with us, I think two other guys, and we sat for a whole hour just reading verse by verse together out loud. 16 chapters, took an hour. And it was beautiful because I think Mark is designed to be read out loud, uh, told in one sitting. Uh, and, and so you could see this big sweep of Jesus' life from, his, uh, from, his, um, from the beginning of his ministry to his death. And that's what Mark does for us, the big picture. Today we're going to look at Mark chapter 1. Verse 1, this is what it says. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. The good news there is the word the gospel. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus the Messiah. That's what, that's what gospel means. It means good news. Mark starts off this, with this bold declaration. 
He wants people straight up. Like, I'm asking this question, who is this man? <laughs> but we already know the answer now. He just gave it away so we can go home. But we're done. But no, he's saying, Jesus, the Messiah, the okay, let's break this down, though. Uh, firstly, we've got to recognize the name Jesus itself is actually uh, the, uh, the Greek version of the name Joshua, right? That, that, that's the Hebrew word, Joshua. Hebrew name is Joshua. Jesus is the equivalent. It actually means God is salvation, right? So, Josh, we can start calling you Jesus now because that's the equivalent to your name, Jesus, in the back row over there. Okay, God is salvation. Messiah, too, is another word here, the, the Hebrew word for Christ. So you might have heard Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus, Messiah, it's the same, it's synonymous, right? So Christ and Messiah, it's the same word, Greek and Hebrew, helps us to understand that, that we can use those two synonymously. Messiah, Christ, the actual, uh, and, and to understand the Messiah or Christ, well, that actually means the anointed one, if you were to define what that actually means, the anointed one. Mark uses that, let's, let's look at that first. Mark uses that in a very pointed way, the anointed one, the Messiah. And with that, it's because there's this uh, allusion to, to Psalm 2. He alludes to Psalm 2 uh, in the sense that uh, God is going to anoint someone to be his king, the anointed one. The anointed one will be the Messiah, the king that is coming to reign. It's a reference there where the anointed one isn't just uh, a savior figure, it's actually a kingly savior, savior figure, a majestic savior figure who will reign over all the nations. Uh, I'll let you read Psalm 2 in your own time. And Mark wants to declare that straight up. Jesus is the anointed one one that's been prophesied for years to come, the one that uh, the people of God, the Israel, has been waiting for, for for centuries. The anointed one has come, the Messiah. Jesus is that one, the Christ, and, and then the Son of God. Now, uh, I, w- I want us to really consider what this looks like. Let's break this down in terms of uh, the prophecy, in terms of uh, the anointed one, in terms of the Messiah that the people are waiting for. Uh, what, what Mark needs to do is, is back that up. If I'm going to make this topic sentence, this statement, Jesus is the Messiah, Son of God, I need to tell you why. Let me back it up. So this is what he does. Verse 2, he says, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I'll send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, the whole Judean countryside, all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. All right, so he makes his declaration, and he gives us a bit of context why he can say this. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He starts that by saying there's this guy called John. He's the guy who's baptizing people. We, we know him as John the Baptist. Let's call him John the Baptizer because that's a bit more accurate. He baptizes people. Uh, we read that the prophet Isaiah spoke about the one who was to come from the wilderness to be a messenger, a forerunner to the Messiah, the king who's to come. John the Baptizer, he comes from the wilderness, we're told. We're told that he wore clothing of camel's hair and had a leather belt. He ate locusts, which good for protein, I guess. This is interesting, isn't it? Why? Because you go back again to your Old Testament and 2 Kings chapter 1, which you can read later, it's about Elijah, the prophet in the Old Testament. And Elijah came from where? He came from the desert, the wilderness. What did Elijah wear? He wore a, a garment of hair and he wore a leather belt. It, it, there are these similarities here with John the Baptist, John the Baptizer. You see, and, and Mark's making this sort of parallel here. Everyone's waiting for someone like Elijah to come another Elijah to come and, and usher in the new kingdom, the kingdom of God to come. But it's not going to be Elijah himself. It's going to be someone like Elijah. 
And here we have, we have John the Baptist. He's the, he's the, the forerunner, the, 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 the messenger, baptizing people in the name of God, telling people to repent and, 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 and know the kingdom of God is here. Do you, this is his job. His job is to be this messenger saying, what does he say? Someone more powerful than I is going to come. Uh, it, it's, uh, I think I shared this before. A few years ago, I went to this concert. Uh, what was it? Hit 105. What are they called? R&B Fridays. R&B Fridays concert. String of celebrities uh, showed up. But uh, at this concert, there was this guy called Fat Man Scoop. You guys know who Fat Man Scoop is? He sings that song. Um, all, your, all the single ladies, put your hands up. All the single ladies, make noise. No, all your chicken heads, be quiet. All your chicken heads, be quiet. No, you don't know the song? <laughs> this is... Uh, yeah. 90s song. Um, Fat Man Scoop, right? And so he's the guy that in between each celebrity, he'll get up and say, I say, hey, you say, ho, hey, ho, hey, ho, right? And so he's getting everyone hyped for the next guy to come up, the next celebrity, the next, the next singer to get on stage, right? That's, that's his job. If you Google Fat Man Scoop, you'll actually see that his career title is Hype Man. That's his job. He brings the hype. He brings the hype train. And you guys just got to get on the hype train with him because he just gets you excited, right? I can't believe you guys don't know Fat Man Scoop. Uh, anyway, so uh, well, this sort of works now, right? Because you see John and you think, whoa, this guy's hyping us. He's really hyping us up for Jesus to come. It's not about him. He wants us to get excited for the one who's more powerful to come. That's, well, he's essentially, essentially a hype man, right? Now, uh, now, this reference here about sandals, he, he says, I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie sandals. This idea is, is really this idea of, of how... Um, no one would go to each other's, like no one would wash each other's feet because it was so dirty. Your feet were so only, it was, it was a job not even given to, to Jewish slaves, it was only given to Gentile slaves because that's how beneath, uh, you know, it was it's just so low, it's just a lowly job. And he's saying, I don't even, ha- I, I'm not even low enough, you know, I, I feel like this guy is so powerful, I'm, I don't even feel like I'm worthy to do that, go near his feet even. No one can, this, is, this guy's so powerful, he's so awesome, so majestic, this, this Messiah that is to come. That's what he's saying there. He's emphasizing, he's hyping up the greatness of Jesus, getting ready for this one who is to come, repentance. He calls people to repentance, turn away from your sin. Turn away from your sin and turn your heart towards God. That's what repentance looks like. Acknowledging who is the king of your life, and then he baptizes people. You know, baptism here is it's this act of being submerged in water. It was a symbol a symbol uh, that pointed people to God's promises, to God's covenant for the people, that he'll be the one who cleanses us from the inside out. Now, now John says, he, he baptizes people. He says, I baptize you with water. Yes, that's what I do. But the one who is to come will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's interesting, isn't it? You know, you might have heard uh, in, in churches, uh, in some other churches, people, charismatic preachers get up and say, uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes with fire and power. You'll be able to... Uh, speak in tongues, walk on water, perform miracles. It's this sort of second blessing. I don't know if you've heard that before. Uh, But that's not what's going on here. John is saying, no, he'll baptize with the Holy Spirit in the sense that water can cleanse us, yes. And there are ritual cleanings, you know, with water that that Israel would perform. Now, there's this form of baptism, but he's saying, no, the Holy Spirit will not just clean your skin, it will cleanse your heart. And only God can do that. When we see the Holy Spirit show up in the Old Testament, it's only when God bestows the Holy Spirit upon someone. He's saying the one who's going to give us the Holy Spirit is going to be God. The man who is to come is going to be the God who's going to give us the Holy Spirit, the one that's going to cleanse us, renew us from the inside out. Someone more powerful is coming, who's going to, uh, who's he's more powerful than just baptizing in water. It's going to give us the Spirit of God that gives us life itself, faith, repentance, to live a life for God. 
You know, this is the, I think the big picture that, that uh, John is doing when he's talking about the Holy Spirit is uh, helping us see that this is what the people have been waiting for. Why is that so important that he baptizes with the Holy Spirit? Because, well, throughout the whole Old Testament, what do the people want more than anything? What should the people want more than anything? They, they, should, they, they want to be with God, don't they? You see, in the, in, in the garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, they were in the presence of God, but because of their sin, they got kicked out of Eden. They, they lost the presence of God. Yeah, Israel had to build a big temple. That's where God dwelt with his people. But the only people who could actually access God were the priests. And after all these ritual cleansings, they had to go behind a curtain to talk to God. They couldn't be in God's presence because God is super holy. And, they, and we, as humanity, are sinful, unclean before God. Everyone's, always, everyone's been waiting to get into God's presence. Well, this is what John is saying. He's going to come and baptize with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It means God's going to be with us through the Spirit. It's a, it's, a, it's a big deal. Jesus, uh, God is going to be present with us. Who's going to do that? Well, the one who is to come. Jesus, who will pour out the Spirit upon us. Anyone can baptize others with water, but only God can baptize with the Spirit. Only Jesus can baptize with the Spirit. And that's John's role. He's preparing the way for the King to come. A fulfillment from what was prophesied years ago to the people of God from Isaiah. A messenger, a forerunner will appear. A hype man will appear. But let's keep going um, because Jesus uh, himself, he goes and he gets baptized by John. And we see a, a confirmation of this, uh, of who Jesus is. Verse 9. At the time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Again, we're, looking at, we're thinking about confirmation. We're thinking about fulfillment. We're told Jesus goes after John, he gets baptized, and there's a supernatural event happening. The heavens are torn open, and the Spirit of God descends like a dove. There's a supernatural event happening. Uh, I don't know what the Spirit of God looks like, but it was like a dove descending. Right? There's a first sign of confirmation. The Spirit of God you know, enters Jesus. Uh, now, interestingly, take note of this, the language here as well. Mark is really, this is, this is an interesting point. Mark is really specific here. The heavens are torn open. Uh, it's a word we don't see again in the rest of Mark this idea of torn open until the end. I want you guys to flip with me. I don't have it on screen, so flip with me to Mark chapter 15 in your Bibles. Mark 15, verse 37. This is what I'm going to read for us. So I want you to pick up how, how interesting and, and, and cool this is that Mark does this to, to emphasize his point. Mark 15, 37 to 39. So Jesus is on the cross, about to die. Verse 37. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. 38. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That's the word torn there that we only see in the beginning, chapter 1. Verse 39, and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. See, the idea, the idea of the temple curtain tearing means uh, the, the curtain that separated, from, separated God from people now has been torn. God, God's presence can now be with people. And we got this moment where the centurion, a Roman Gentile, makes this announcement. He declares who Jesus is. Surely this is the Son of God. What is happening in Mark chapter 1? The heavens are torn open. And what is God, the Father? He's, what, what's the announcement he's making? The declaration? This is my Son, whom I'm well pleased with. You know, Mark wants to put these bookends, in a sense, for us here. Chapter 1 and chapter 15 to show us this is this, who is this man? It's the Son of God. 
God recognizes it. The Roman centurion recognizes it. We need to recognize this as well. It's a huge confirmation moment here. And behind that statement really is, is the commission that God's giving Jesus. Yes, it's an announcement that, yes, this is my son. The Spirit descends upon him, but there's a commission. He's saying, now your role is to go out and not just speak for God but you're, and, and act for God, but you're doing it as God. The Spirit has come upon you. Jesus has come as God in human form. And we'll see this very same man right, who's declared as the Messiah, Son of God. He's going to go on in, in the rest of the Gospel to perform miracles, cast out demons, call people to repentance, heal the sick, and most importantly, forgive people of their sin, something only God himself can do. Now, this is huge. Think about the culture that Mark is writing in, his Roman Gentile culture, Roman Empire. Who in the Roman Empire thought of themselves as sons of God? The emperors. The emperors did. Think uh, Julius Caesar, Augusta, uh, Augustine, Augustus, Nero, right? These, these, these emperors, they were mere mortals, but they were deified after their death. People worshipped them. It's called the Roman imperial cult. You can, you can Wikipedia that. These emperors became, uh, because of their status and power, they were given God status. They were known as the sons of God and then given God titles after their death. Mark is challenging all of that with this introduction to his gospel. Who's the son of God? It's one that God himself has announced and declared. It's one who has fulfilled the prophecies that have been talked about for, 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 for years beforehand. It's the one who uh, John the Baptist, who's the forerunner, the messenger, speaks about, who has fulfilled the prophecies. Mark opens up his gospel with this declaration, this is the Son of God. This confirmation, this commission, and, and Jesus, you know, what he has to do to prove himself in many ways, or is, is, by God, is, is actually he goes out into the wilderness. The Spirit actually thrusts him out into the wilderness to get tempted, to overcome temptation to prove that he is the Son of God himself, to prove that he is God. He, he doesn't let uh, temptation overcome him. So verse 12 says this, At once the Spirit sent him out to the wilderness, At once, uh, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. Such a short account of the wilderness story. If you go into the other uh, Gospels, you'll, you'll hear a bigger version of that. But Mark is helping us again see why Jesus has the title Son of God. You know, you're, you're reading this and you're, you're thinking, where do I hear about 40-something and wilderness? You're thinking about the Old Testament back in Exodus again. If you, uh, if you know your Bibles, you go back to Exodus. If you don't, Exodus, there's a story where Israel, they're under slavery under Egypt, and God rescues them out of Egypt. And they go into the wilderness. They go out to the desert, and they disobey God, and they're stuck there for 40 years. They sin against God, even though God looks after them in the wilderness. They, he provides for them and everything, but they continually sin against God. They fail in obeying him and trusting him. So there's a little snapshot here. Jesus goes out into the wilderness for 40 days. He doesn't give in to temptation. He goes face to face even with God's adversary, right? Satan himself, tested through temptations, and he comes out on the other side. He doesn't succumb to Satan's lies, but is obedient to God in every way. We've got a whole, uh, all the scriptures throughout the Old Testament. What do we keep hearing about God's people? They continually fail. They continually disobey God. You know, we come to Jesus, though. He's perfectly obedient. And just as it was prophesied, Satan will have no power over him. In fact, he'll even defeat Satan, which we see at the cross. This, this wilderness account is just a little snapshot that Mark wants to put here. 
to help us see who this Jesus is. He's the perfect son of God. Unlike the, the sons of Israel, he's the perfect son of God who will cast out demons. He will, uh, he'll, in his obedience, even go to the cross and he'll suffer and destroy Satan, bring Satan to nothing. All right, so we have this declaration of Jesus, a confirmation of who he is through the fulfillment of prophecy, fulfilling what Israel themselves could not do. And then verse 14, we hear his mission. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God, which is the gospel, the gospel of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news, the gospel. Right now, Jesus has gone public with his ministry. He's emerged from the wilderness. He's proven himself, and he's ready to bring the kingdom of God to people. How? Through himself. God himself has broken through into human history, and the kingdom of God has come near in the sense that he's saying the kingdom of God has made a personal appearance in him. And we're going to see that unfold more and more over the next few weeks, but we can see that his works as a son of God, his, his miracles, wisdom, forgiveness, all that is the sacrifice. The kingdom of God has come to this world. The message is clear then. Repent and believe this good news of who Jesus is. The Messiah, the Son of God, has come. Now, after all that, after, after unpacking chapter 1, isn't that the message for us too as we hear that? If we establish that we know Jesus, we believe in him, we believe he's the Messiah, the Son of God, what is the message you need to hear today? How many times within these few verses did you hear the word repent and believe repeated? Get baptized for the forgiveness of sins. There are so many people who think they know Jesus, but if you truly know who this man is, you'll know the message he comes with. We can't say that we know Jesus and, and say that he doesn't call us to repentance. No, that's the first thing he calls us to in his ministry. Repent. And if that's something you don't agree with, then you need to ask yourself, what version of Jesus do you believe in? Is it your version or is it the Bible's version? Who is this Jesus you've conjured up? Do you even know this God? Do you know who is this God that you put your faith in? Are you willing to humble yourself before the word of God and learn about who Jesus truly is? Yes, the first step is to believe this man, to believe who this man is, that he is the fulfillment of the prophecies, that he's the Messiah, the Christ, that he's the king, the anointed one that God has sent, that he's the son of God himself. What does that look like to believe? It's to have faith, to trust him with your life. Believing the good news looks like looks like trust and faith it starts with belief and i think every christian in the room knows that it starts with belief and trust but when you believe and trust it also looks like repentance when you know how powerful and majestic he is when you know he's the king the messiah your life can't not change it can't continue on a with a with a heart that remains unchanged trusting him will look like a life that isn't lived for yourself anymore but for him this is why the message repeated is clear. The message is repent. If you're someone who already calls Jesus your Lord and Savior, have you repented of your sin? Are you coming before the cross daily repenting of your sin? A life of repentance and obedience. Once you come to know Jesus and trust him, then hear that message that he comes with. Turn away from the sin that your heart harbors. The message was for all people, not just for those who might, you might classify as a rotten, bad people in society. Uh, the temptation right now is to think, oh, this is a message that person across the room needs to hear. Or the person sitting next to me. They, they, oh, I really hope they... No, this is a message for you too. For me as well. Repent of our, of our sin, of our self-righteousness, of our selfishness, of our pride, of our greed. A heart that rejects and dismisses God. 
we need to admit that we are the, we are the sinners that Jesus came to save, to bring this message to. And we need to repent and trust him with our lives. We are all needy people. We are all needy people because we need Jesus, who is the one that can forgive sins, the only one who can give us God's spirit, God's presence, and the one who can restore us back into a relationship with God. Friends, if you call yourself a Christian, let me encourage you, the hard work needs to be done. Come to God in repentance. If you're not a Christian here today, let me encourage you to explore and think about what it looks like to actually believe and trust Him. Turn away from living for yourself, live for God. And as you walk with Jesus, you'll need to repent on the daily, let's be honest. Each day I'm going to have moments where I'll, I'll, I'll care more about myself than God's glory, my glory more than God's. We'll need to lay our sin before the feet of the cross. We'll need to look at our hearts and see where sin still shows itself. We live in a world that's stained with it. It's going to affect us day by day. I'm not going to lie, right? This life of living as a Christian is a journey of continual trust, repentance, and obedience. It's not going to be easy. It's not an overnight transformation to perfection. It's a journey. But I'll be honest, when you know who this man truly is, the Jesus of the Bible, he is so worth it. He's so deserving of it all. Too often we go through life having this opinion of who Jesus is that's shaped really by, by the media, by our friends, by our family, by what the movies and Hollywood portray him as. But maybe it's time for us to turn off the comment section, to stop listening to the voices out there and their opinions on who they think Jesus is, but instead come back to the source. And my hope and prayer for us as a church is that we'll be in absolute awe as we discover through the pages of the Bible and the Gospel of Mark, the goodness, the greatness, the holiness and majesty of this man Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God who is worthy of our worship, worthy of our lives. Let's pray. Father, you've shown us the goodness of Jesus in, in the Scriptures. You've shown us that he is uh, your Son. He is the one who has come to give us the Spirit. And he does that, Lord, through sacrifice, the sacrifice, sacrifice of his very life. You've shown us that uh, through the way he has uh, lived a life for others, serving others around him, loving those around him, pointing people to your goodness, pointing people to the glory of God. I pray, Lord, that we'll come to the cross and realize that and see the goodness of Jesus, his greatness, his majesty, the king who laid down his life to serve us needy people who need forgiveness, who need to be restored back to you. As we see that, Lord, as we see the cross and we see the sacrifice Jesus has made for us, help us to be a people who will lay down our sin before the cross, a people of repentance, seeking obedience with our lives, a people who don't want to honor our name, but want to honor yours, honor the, the name of Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the, the Son of God himself. Let's Help us to keep coming back to this truth of who this man is so that it won't just uh, be a tag on with our lives, but it will actually shape our lives from the heart. I do pray for this, Lord, and I pray, for his, pray this in his name and for his glory. Amen.